scattered us down, folks. Welcome to another delightful episode of Missouri Swagger. This is episode 13. I'm Dennis Hopeless. And I'm Cullen Bunn. I'm repositioning my camera so it's right in front of you on my screen so that I'm looking directly at you, it seems like. <laughs> That's good. I try to, it's weird because the, the little screen of me is, is at the top. So I'm always trying to look at the camera, but I end up looking at myself, which is weird. I'm always trying to look at myself. Oh, it's like my computer is a tiny mirror. <laughs> no, it makes me uncomfortable. I see all, right. all my imperfections. Yeah, well, you got to have a high-def camera to capture all of those, <laughs> brother. Uh, yeah, so today, as promised, we're going to be talking about comic book writing process. I love that we're doing this. I have no idea what the subject is today. You're oh, seeing... I knew process, but I didn't know what the, what we were talking about process-wise. I was going to kick it to you because I feel like I'm always the first one to talk. But if you want me to go first, I can go first. Oh, I don't care. I just uh, I'd love to hear what we're you know what we're going to talk about. Uh, what aspect of process uh, for me, Dennis? Uh, creating a comic book is such an ephemeral art form. Okay, you're done. So <laughs> what? What, I, what I've been thinking a lot this week about uh, the difference between my favorite projects and other things that I've written um, and like what, what it is about things like spider woman. Um, and I don't know, I'm not going to list them all, but things like spider woman that I've uh, really personal stories that I am really proud of and that I'll sell at cons forever. Like, and, and other things that I've done that are, you know, fun and that I enjoy doing, but that aren't, aren't um, as important to me and didn't hit quite as hard. And what I've come to is that what I am good at, and, or I don't know, what I like writing, what I really get into when I'm writing is I either write journal entries, like diary entries, or I write love songs. And if, if I can't explain some way that, that my story is that, it's not going to be a, a thing that I'm most proud of. Um, Spider-Woman, obviously, is a diary entry I wrote about Spider-Woman having a baby when I had just had kids. Um, I mean, that thing, you want to dig deep, that thing's got a lot more diary entry in it than that. But... Uh, you know, that's pretty obvious. Right. And uh, I really like love stories. Um, I really like love songs. I, my favorite movie of all time is Love Actually. Uh, and We've talked about this. Yes. Um, You're not going to redeem so, yourself. I'm going to redeem myself. So I, I, what I've started trying to do, I've got um, a bunch of new pitches percolating in, in new creator-owned books, is try to figure out how to make sure that the story is in some way that. Um, and, you know, sometimes... It is the case that you start with the diary entry, that you start with the, the thing that, that, is, that you relate to, that is the most like you. And other times it is you start with a really cool comic book story idea um, or, a, you know, like a plot. And then I have to figure out a way to bake in um, that piece. So, uh, yeah, I was going to go through a couple of, of examples and how I found uh, like what, what the books ended up being about. Um, after the fact, because I accidentally baked in personal life stuff, or uh, how I found the characters through through finding what I relate to. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. So that's where oh, that's I'm going to come from. Where are you going to come from? What do you want to say? I don't think of any diary entries or love songs when I'm writing. Well, no, my- we work. That's I think that's why it's interesting because you and I come at stories from a very different <laughs> perspective. So, uh, yeah, you, you know, I have for for all my years. Uh, writing and this this goes back to you know when I was in high school and then in specifically when I was in a, 
uh, college and I was, uh, you know, I was taking creative writing courses and, and all this. And uh, I remember sitting in those creative writing courses and, and people saying, uh, I really want to discuss your themes here. I want to discuss the themes that you've, you've put into this story. And, uh, and they go on and on and on about these themes. And, and, and what I found is that uh, more often than not, these were themes and ideas that they brought with them to the story. It was not things that I put in the story. Uh, and, and I've always, uh, I've always been fascinated by that. And, and sometimes it bites me because I get people, you know, when I was writing Sinestro, there was this one, uh, there was this one reviewer who, who kept coming at me and saying how, Sinestro was nothing except Cullen Bunn talking about how much he hates the police and, uh, and how much he hates law enforcement, uh, which is the most ridiculous concept I've ever heard. I mean, I remember laughing and laughing at those reviews because this guy had just baked in his own hangups uh, into, into my story. Uh, you know, I knew what I thought Sinestro was about, but it was a very simple, you know, it was a simple, you know, plot for me, a simple, a simple point. Um, but you know, people, you know, bake in all these other ideas, you know, with all these stories for me, uh, every story I work on and the ones that I really enjoy the most, uh, it's about me trying to, to work something out in my head. Usually it's working out anger. I think, uh, if, (laughs) if you read, you know, say Magneto, um, Magneto is a very angry book and, and it really dig deep into Magneto. Uh, because I was trying to work through a lot of anger at that time and a right. lot of uh, uh, a lot of feeling of uh, of being powerless against uh, against things that are going on, you know, right. around me. Uh, and, uh, and and sometimes it's things that are currently going on. Sometimes it's me thinking back on on things I went through years ago and uh, and how I would have rather uh, handled something. Not that I have magnetic powers and can throw uh, rebar through people, but uh, but it helps but me exercise to, some of those inner demons. You want to do that daily? No, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to. I have to. <laughs> um, no, it's just, for me, uh, most of the stories that I, that I get the most out of, it's me kind of working things out in my head. Sometimes they're negative things that I'm working out. Sometimes they're very positive feelings that I'm working out. And, uh, you know, but I don't usually sit down and try to, I don't sit down with the intention that this is what this is, what I'm going to do today. It just starts happening as I'm writing. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean by diary entries is oftentimes it'll, it'll find its way in. I mean, sometimes, you know, the, the pitch of Spider-Woman having a baby was a diary entry. Like I knew that. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes it'll find its way in. Uh, before I get there, I wanted to say I had a Cullen moment, rage moment, Cullen bun rage moment this morning. Uh, when I was headed to the coffee shop, there's a crosswalk right in front of my street. And at certain times of the day, it is very busy traffic. And on both sides of the street, there's a little yellow sign with a man walking across the street on it. that says that the pedestrians have the right of way. And I got halfway into the street and then this big semi or a cement truck goes by super fast, almost killed me. And I took a step back and watched all of these sons of bitches follow him. Just like, well, this guy's going, so I'm going to go. While I pointed at the sign and stared at him. And by the end, I was pointing in their faces and pointing at the sign. They didn't care. But I, in the middle of that, I thought it would be worth getting hit by a car just to make the point that they're not supposed to be driving through this crosswalk. I do think things like that quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I felt very much like you. 
Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that stuff uh, finds its way in um, sometimes when you're not expecting it. Like, uh, so Jean Grey, my pitch for the Jean Grey series was very simple. It was young Jean Grey lives in a world where everybody else knows about adult Jean Grey. Everybody else knows about Phoenix Jean Grey and this like super powerful, super put together adult who, you know, did all these crazy, wonderful and awful things and then, uh, you know, died. And she's not there yet. She's a teenager. She's 60s Jean Grey. You know, she doesn't have all of that experience and isn't ready for it. And I was like, well, what if we brought something down that only adult Jean Grey can deal with and young Jean Grey, I mean, it turned out to be the Phoenix, but young Jean Grey is not prepared for it and knows it. So she has to go through the process of, of, you know, learning from other people and places in the Marvel universe in order to be prepared to deal with this thing. And so I, my idea was, well, you know, the first arc will be like Marvel team up where she'll go around and hang out with Thor and Namor and learn things from these different people. Um, very simple concept. Uh, it was super fun to write, but when I think about it now and when I look at what I did with it, I was very much writing a superhero version of what I was doing in my personal life because I was going through some crazy personal life stuff at the time. And I was taught, what I do is talk through my problems. So I would call everyone I know and get their version of advice or their version of perspective on whatever it was that, what it was I was going through and try to learn from that and gain perspective and figure out what to do. So I kind of accidentally made a superhero version of these, all of these weird what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Conversations I have with all my friends and colleagues and editors and anyone who would listen to me, frankly. Um, and then the second arc, I kind of got past that point. I got past the point of just like spraying my problems at everyone I knew. And it was more, okay, now you got to deal with the depression. You got to deal with the, like, yeah, how, well, where your life is left after this thing. And I wrote a story about Gene being, First, completely useless, and then battling a giant firebird like it's a like it's a uh, she's slaying a dragon. And so, when I look at those scenes, I feel like that was me wrestling with my my demons and stuff. Um, and while I had no idea that I was doing that, I did not do that on purpose. I did not intend that in the plot stage. But it was definitely me working through those sorts of things. Um, and so, yeah, now I. I think that's interesting. And I think that uh, I got a better story out of it than I would have if I hadn't been going through that stuff and if I hadn't been put that into the story. So I'm trying to figure out um, now, like, well, how do I, how do I kind of lean into that from the outset? Like, how do I craft cool plots and cool character beats uh, ahead of time that will allow me to work that stuff out on the page? Yeah. You know, uh, I've always felt like uh, it's, it's a real, uh, it's like walking a tightrope and uh because i feel like if you try to force that stuff into it it comes across a little uh disingenuous mm -hmm. but i feel like if you're afraid of it when it surfaces then you're not gonna get the most out of your story so you kind of have to you know you kind of have to be open to it and ready when that kind of uh when those kind of connections to your real life strike uh, but, but I also, for me anyway, I can't, if I sit down and try to, to figure that stuff out, it always feels weird to me and doesn't feel true to who I am as a writer. And there's the difference is that every writer is going to be different about it. Some can, can make those connections right, uh, you know, right away and others, uh, they have to let them happen. Just, I have to just sit there and let it happen to me. Sure. I mean, it comes from a, 
it has to be a jumping off point. Like that's why baking it in at later works is because you're adding something to a story that's already a story. Like you can't, you nobody wants to read a superhero story that's just about how sad you are, you know. But if it's a cool plot that you that you get, like Cloak and Dagger was sort of like that for me. Cloak and Dagger is it's like the the white whale of comic book properties where for whatever reason all of us comic book writers remember it fondly and think the characters are cool and have some notion that we want to write it partially because nobody's written it for very a very long run in a while um right. but when i was offered that job i knew like this is a cool job it's gonna be a tv show it's you know it's something that hasn't uh been done at any length in a long time like i've got an opportunity here and i had absolutely no clue what to do with it like i was completely lost in the weeds because you know, I, I don't have a lot in common with those characters. And when I went back and reread the old stuff, I loved it, but it's not what I do. Like I don't do hard boiled eighties street level detective fiction. Like my, you know, my spider Woman was sort of a detective story, but that's, that's my version of that. That's, that's not what I do. And I didn't want it was to, more, it was more, uh, it was more Rockford files than uh, Mickey Spillane. Right. Exactly. And I didn't want to lighten the characters up too much. Cause I don't think it makes sense. Yeah. I think they're right. pretty brooding characters. And I mean, I was ready to walk away. And this was a time when I walking away from a job was a bad plan. Like I, I needed that job whenever it was offered to me. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't want to walk away, but I didn't know what the hell to do. And I got on the phone with Devin Lewis and he said, he said, well, you know, they've just been through some shit in uh, Secret Empire and Tandy's more powerful now. Uh, what if we, what if we split them up? Like what if we broke them up and then we could deal with their weird codependent relationship? And then my like head was on fire. So that's it. Like that's, that's some human shit. Like I, I understand that. I understand codependency and, and you know, I can do that. So I leaned all the way into that. Um, but just if that's just the outset of the story, that's where they are at the beginning. Uh, Rick Remender right. told me something when I first started working at Marvel um, that you don't have to explain how the characters got to where they are at the beginning of the story because people's minds are filling the blanks or they'll assume there's some comic they didn't read before where this happened. Right. So I didn't have to show them breaking up. I just had to show the after they were broken up, that they're broken up. And that was my jumping off point. And that's how I created the villain. Um, actually, I think Jasmine came up with the idea for the villain, but it was that it all came out of that thing, like that, that place, which allowed me. To was it Mr. Breakup? Story. <laughs> no. He just goes around. Name, <clears throat> the villain's name is. ruins relationships. He breaks up heroes, destroys marriages. Well, they're. Tyrone and Tandy are pretty obviously yin and yang characters. One's lightness, one's dark. And the villain in the book is called the gray or gray. Uh, and that she came up with that notion. And then I took that and wrapped it up in what I was doing and came up with it. Um, Mr. Breakup, you're the worst. Uh, That's but yeah, I, we are different people. I like true. Mr. Breakup. I would put that in a comic right now. I, I, in fact, I may. I'm going to work on a comic today and it's going to be about Mr. Breakup. I did. There is, there is a character that I pulled from an 80s Say No to Drugs com- Marvel comic book that I use in the, the first issue. You find, she's a corpse in the first issue, but her name was The Fix, and she was, an, she was a member of this group of drug-themed supervillains from the Say No, no, Say no to Drugs comic. Uh, nobody caught that. Nobody was like, oh, hey. I'm surprised. I'm surprised no one wrote to you and said, how dare you kill, kill off this, uh, this character? They never got a fair shake. Yeah, they didn't care. No one, no one noticed. Oh well, I'm sorry, Dennis. That's an Easter egg. Go, go find her. That's funny because I collect all those uh, little uh, uh, message comics—the "Say No to Drug" comics and the 
any of those didn't read my cloak and dagger because you're not a good friend. It was only digital, right? God, I hate you. Just just die in a fire. (laughs) (laughs) Not only digital. It's digital first. There's going to be a print. That's what I meant. Digital first. Has it come out in trade? Not yet. All right. Well, when it comes out in trade. I expect you to call me and tell me how much you love it as soon as it's out. For God's sakes, Dennis. I have books of yours right here. I know you have them, and you read them often to learn how to be a writer, a better writer. And you try to well, hide I read that. them, and I'm like, oh, my God, another fucking diary entry. <laughs> what <laughs> you did you shift to a love song? You. Just one is, shift to a love song. There's a love song. I mean, there's, a, there's a lovely, a lovely love story in the second half of Spider-Woman about Porcupine and Jessica. No, I like all that. I like Gorgeous. that stuff in spider I read Spider-Woman? Come on. Of course you did. Uh, yeah, you know... Uh, I think I, I too often I'll fall back, especially with, uh, with, you know, superhero books. I fall onto the, let's start with, this is a cool idea rather than, than the coming up from a, from a personal level. And sometimes that traps you into, you know, a cool idea is cool, but it can't, uh, it can't support a comic for, you know, five issues, 10 issues, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, you need both. You don't want, if it's just a diary entry, if I hadn't found a cool villain and found a cool superhero plot, nobody would have stuck around for what I was trying to say about relationships or whatever. Um, so that's, that is important. And I, I lean the other way. A lot of times I'll forget to make a cool hook that I can sell the book with. And I'll just be like, Hey, here's this book that if you happen to love this character enough to read it, you're going to think it's fantastic, but no one knew is going to care. Uh, we kind of ran into that with pregnant spider woman. I think that was like the only thing that was said about it. So we got all new parents and those people will love me forever. And it was an uphill battle to get a lot of other folks to care at all. Um, no, I remember the comments on Pregnant Spider-Woman. I read all that. I still sometimes at cons will hear that it, it, that book is terrible because a pregnant woman shouldn't be fighting crime. Yeah. And at no point in that series does a pregnant woman fight crime. Yeah. Um, does not do it. That's a whole nother episode. We can talk about comments all day long, Dennis. But we're not no, I think it's fun. I think this is because I was trying to figure out how, how to make this useful because it's really just us like talking about how our minds work. But yeah, I think examples are good. Like here's this story that I wrote and here's what I was trying to do. And this is what I found about it. I think that's fun. So why don't you get one of those? Find a superhero thing. Something, something people, lots of people will have read that you like how you found it. Like Magneto was a good example. What else? Well, Magneto, I mean, if, if I talk about Magneto, when, uh, you know, when I first uh, was offered the, the, or I was I was asked to pitch to write Magneto, and uh, and what I did was I wrote the first four pages, which is the scene where this guy's talking, like giving an interview about oh this guy came into town and he, I heard him talking to this guy and then he just you know and then he he threw him out the window and he did something awful and we cut to the scene of this guy in the street and he has all these you know rebar or signposts sticking out of his face, uh, and I sent that in. I said this is my pitch. Magneto is a uh, uh, a serial killer. He's a horror. People are, are scared to death of him. Uh, and this is a story about people telling the story about how Magneto is awful and terrifying and how we shouldn't, uh, you know, and how, you know, how, how he should be feared and, and people need to, to take care of him. And that was my pitch. And, and that was my initial, you know, version of the story is I wanted to do a story about Magneto roaming from place to place doing, uh, 
doing vile things for uh, what would be seen in his eyes as the right reason. Sure. Um, as that story went on, I started working on it. I, and, and I think you probably heard me complain about this quite a bit because there was a lot of inner monologue in that book. And Which I hate, hate writing inner monologue. It's, it's right. It's writing poetry. It's yeah, the worst. It's, it's like writing. It's it's, I think it's worse than writing poetry, but uh, I mean, it, it's, it's awful. It's just uh, hard. It's like, I, I think it's effective. I think you do it well. And I think I do it pretty well. And when it, when it works, when it lands, it's great, but it oh, is yeah. so time consuming because yeah, it it takes, it's so ham fisted if you do it wrong and yeah. you end up overwriting, you write so many pages of shit and you cut it down to almost nothing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, I, I like it, it once it's done, but I hate the process of doing it because it, it's just, it's time consuming. It takes a lot of time. Um, but as I started working on it, I realized it was less about Magneto as the serial killer and more about a man who had done uh, terrible things and trying to, to get to a point. Uh, it's about self, uh, uh, it's about uh, self justification, justify and, and how, and the capacity to justify the things you've done in the past. Uh, for a greater good and uh, or, or sometimes not even for a greater good, just to justify yourself. And the rest of the series is really about Magneto trying to justify everything he's done uh, and, and everything he will do. And, uh, and I felt like at the time, yeah, I was angry. I had a lot of anger issues going on and that's where a lot of the violence and, and Magneto doing mean things to people comes from. But, but also uh, I just think a lot about uh about us in about people in general and maybe myself uh, specifically about how it's, it's so easy to justify mistakes, you know, to not accept the mistakes you've made as mistakes and justify them instead. Oh yeah. And, and that's kind of the thing I was trying to work out while, while working on Magneto. Right. Um, I don't know if it worked out. I still justify everything I do. Um, but, uh, but I, well, I was I trying. I think as long as you've got something like that, that you can build into what the story is. I mean, it doesn't have to be, mine are usually diary entries, but I was thinking WWE is a, is a, um, the exception that proves the rule in my case. Cause basically what that book is, is me fixing continuity that annoys wrestling fans. Right. Cause wrestling shows are not written as, they're not written as a narrative. They're written to get you to watch the next one. So there's lots of things where wrestling fans are like, well, that doesn't make sense. Or this didn't have, this didn't work out how I wanted or the ending. Well, there's no ending. So what I get to do is take those matches and then like explain shit in the middle that, it, that fixes the continuity and they fans love it. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, it's just like a, it's a weird little puzzle that I do every time. And there's not a lot. I mean, you know, I put cool character moments that I think are relatable in there, but there's not a lot of my life in that. Right. Well, same thing, I think, with like a book like Fearless Defenders, which is a book I still to this day get a lot of people at conventions and things like that coming up. They really love that book. And and that book from the get go was I wanted to have fun writing a superhero comic. And uh, and I. Uh, I the story pitches for that book were very. uh sometimes they were goofy, you know, like I had an issue where I wanted all the ex-boyfriends of all these characters to go to a bar and talk about the heroes. Right. You know, and that was my pitch. I just wanted to write a book about ex-boyfriends being uh, sort of sad that they weren't uh, with these women and that they weren't out fighting. <laughs> they weren't out fighting crime with them. And right. then on another issue I wanted to do, uh, we've talked about it before. I want to do a tribute to a dance 
you know, to dance movies. So I just wanted to do a book about dancing. And that's what I did in the middle of a Marvel's big event at the time. I wanted to do an issue about, uh, uh, about dancers. And, and, and for me, that book was just, uh, you know, it was just about fun and, show, you know, I, I loved all the characters in the book and I wanted to show them shining in some way or another. Um, but, uh, but it was, it was more about, uh, having, having fun with that title rather than, uh, trying to, uh, dig deep into any, I mean, there were character moments, but I don't think it was ever meant to be a, a, a character study. I've just, I just, like, it, just while you were talking, I came up with an idea for a new Missouri Swagger episode and maybe, maybe a little bonus feature. All right. I think that you and I should watch your favorite step up movie because Colin Bunn loves step up movies. He loves dancing, dancing movies. And what's the best one? What's your favorite? Step up two is by far the best of the step up movies by okay. far. Okay. In fact, yeah. after we're done, now that we're talking, I'm going to watch that final dance. Well, I think what you and I should do is watch it and record the audio of our conversation while we watch it and then do an episode afterward that is us talking about it. And the viewers can, if they want to, we'll give them the thing early so they can, I guess we want to get it's all they can watch our, our episode anytime they want, but they can listen to us talking about it in, in, in like a um, mystery science theater sort of way, and then they can listen to our conversation about stuff up because you and I both really like dancing movies, and I don't know that we've ever watched one together. No, we haven't. So that's process. That's Missouri Swagger process right there. Missouri I just explained Swagger how we come up with the stupid shit we talk about. That's right. Well, hey, I did think you know we were you were talking somehow to make this useful. Yes. So, so if I were going to offer advice so on what we've discussed so far, um, I think it's it's one of those things you know putting a pitch together uh, for a series or an idea for a series is daunting in general. I think it's tough for people to do, uh, and and I have done both sides of things where I've put one together a little lazily, where I've just like said, "Here's the idea," and sometimes those ideas get picked up, and then you're you have to run with the one sentence you wrote and turn it. Something useful. Almost, I think every single Marvel book I've ever done, except for Avengers Arena, falls into that category. Yes, yeah, so, all basically one sentence. I had to figure out a backstory. So, so, and the other side of it is, you can work that pitch uh, to death. You can yeah. just develop it and develop it. And I've seen pitches. People, you know, people want to share their their pitch for series, and and it's a you know, the pitch itself is longer than than a twelve issue comic series would be. Right. Um, and what I, you know, so I think, and I think some of what, what hangs people up is what we've just been talking about right here is sort of these, these different ways of approaching a story. One being, let's go with a cool high concept idea that has a hook. And the other being, what's the emotional, uh, the emotional and personal side of things. And you need both of those. Yeah. But I would, uh, encourage people to not st- dress in the pitch stage if you're not getting both of them in the pitch stage you know don't don't let that stick your story at that level i mean because i think it's going to come out uh if you if you want to you know you focus you you have to have an idea for what the story is there has to be a plot right and the characters kind of interact within that plot but uh once you get to writing it that's where that stuff starts to to surface and boil up. And if you, you, if you're, if your initial initial idea is heavier into the character side of things, that's awesome. The plot's going to come together as you start working on it. If it's more into the plot side of things, the character side of things will come up 
uh, like in some cases, like Dennis was saying, he, he thinks about it a lot. And in mine, I, I kind of let it, it happen from a subconscious place. Right. Um, but it will happen. And then you, you know, then you kind of, you can start piecing it together. I mean, uh, I, I just, I would encourage people to not stress, you know, you know what your story's about, but right. don't stress too much initially about what it's, you know, the big picture, what it's really about. What's the theme. Sure. Until, you know, don't stress about that to the point that it destroys uh, forward progress. Well, pitches are pitches are frustrating because what a pitch needs to be, first and foremost, is an explanation of the hook. So the idea, but told in a way that explains why anyone wants to read this. Like right. The, the one or two sentences you would say to someone to get them to read your favorite book. That is the hook. And it's got to be, it's got to sound fresh and interesting and exciting and it has to get people going. So you have to have that. You also have to know the beginning, middle, and end on some level. It's a little yes. bit different for Marvel books because they're ongoings and you know the characters aren't going to be done afterward usually. You have to leave them. So they're a little bit more of a perpetual second act. But you need to know some sort of ending, some sort of conclusion to the, the ideas you set up. So beginning, middle, and end. Right. And that is basically all you have to have. And if you have that, it's an effective pitch. The problem is, in order to get that beginning, middle, and end, you have to have thought about it enough to know the whole story. Because you, otherwise, you're summarizing something that doesn't exist. So it has to exist enough in your head and be fleshed out enough for you to say the beginning, middle, and end. But then you have to not be beholden to all that flesh because once you get... It's going to start changing. Right. Well, because we need to work outside in. You need to go like big idea, broken down into big, simple plot, broken down into scenes, broken down into pages, broken down into panels. And at every stage, you want to be able to rethink each one of those things to flesh them out and find all of the stuff. So you can't be beholden to the version that existed in your head when you're writing. You're absolutely right. And and I have a great example because I just uh, finished what I call script apocalypse, where I had this big project due. Uh, and I've been really working hard on it for a little while. And, and there were a lot of pages. This was a huge book. Um, and I've been, I mean, I have just been forging ahead on this thing. Right. And yesterday as I'm nearing the, nearing the end of the book, I opened up the pitch cause I was looking up a character name. So I, I couldn't remember a character name. So I opened up the pitch and, uh, and I realized there were tons of things that I had put in the pitch that did not make it into the book. And there were things in the book that never got mentioned in the pitch. It just sort of, it kind of grew into something completely different. Um, I think there are, even in the, even in the differences in the pitch, in the, in the final product, there are are elements of the pitch that can be seen some of the themes and ideas, but it's a different story because I was just going with where the story took me. And, and from the pitch, you know, I had to have that three act, you know, beginning, middle and end uh, description that just didn't it didn't uh, it didn't work as I actually got into the writing of the right. of the book. And you have to be willing to pull up track and, and knock down walls and stuff as you're going. Um, I found recently that before I write the first issue, I now want to write some sort of rambling uh, stream of consciousness plot outlines for each issue to give the editor so I can get another set of eyes on things and they can point stuff out that I will usually figure out the day that I'm writing the script. Yeah. So I can kind of restructure the plot as we go, which allows me to, to be a little bit more, you know, scalpel as opposed to sledgehammer whenever I'm thinking about the plot in the <laughs> writing stage. It makes me a lot faster. Um, right. Also like 
I, I, good editing is a godsend. It makes a huge difference having another set of eyes and people who can, who can see some of the things coming. You're too close to it to see. So the more you give your editor, the more, you know, the more. Yeah, for sure. That. Yeah. Uh, if you can do that, that's awesome. I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I don't always get the chance to do it, but, uh, right. I always want to do it. Well, you write at much faster clip than I do. You have a lot more on your plate than I do. Uh, it's so I don't eat it anymore. It's mostly, just, <laughs> it's mostly just that I'm in my own way a lot. I'm trying to get out of it though. Uh, and yeah, we, I, we all do this stuff differently too. Like you don't have to, you don't have to do this stuff the same way we do just cause we're telling you, we're just trying to explain. No, you our have to pit. do it the way I do. Yeah, exactly. You want everybody to just I want be everyone to do exactly what I do. And, uh, and that's my way of slowly destroying everyone else's career. Um, there you have it. Um, I feel like we should we should ask the the viewers the the listeners what they want to know about process because you, you and I could talk about any tiny part of this for hours on end because we think about it a lot. But we're not. I, I'm not actually sure what people are interested in knowing about process. Or yeah, about, that's a good idea. So, like so in the comment see, section. Yeah. In the comment section, uh, if you'll write what you're in, it, you know, and maybe that comment is, I'm not interested in this, right. this jackassery. Please just talk about abandoned theme parks and uh, romantic comedies some more. Um, but if you are interested in specific things, I would just say mention it in the comments and we will definitely try to, to cover that in upcoming episodes. Because we want to, I mean, we, we know a lot of you come here because you like our work and you're interested in comics. And I feel like a lot of comic book fans like process stuff. But we're so inside baseball on it. I'm not sure what, whether we're hitting the interesting notes or not, but we're, mm-hmm. we definitely want to regularly do at least once a month, do one of these process videos where we, we talk about the work because I mean, you and I talk about the work a lot between ourselves, but a lot of times that's about upcoming work or about some inside, some stuff that's so in the weeds with it that no one's going to understand. So it would be nice to get a little direction from you guys on what you want to hear. Um, if you want to yeah. see how much chest hair that I'm, I'm growing for my Razor Ramon costume for Halloween, I can, I can show you that. Colin told me I had to wear a shirt. That was what was going at the beginning of this episode. But That's my contribution to society today. Dennis has to wear a shirt. Um, yeah. Uh, just let us know what you want to see, hear, do. Um, I think this Step Up episode is happening whether you like it or not because I think it will be funny for me. But um, beyond that, yeah, just let us know. Let us know what we want to hear about for the next process episode. Yeah. Um, anything else, Dennis, about this rambling discussion about how we don't know what we're doing? We know exactly what we're doing. All it's right. A, it's, messy, well, want, it's a messy process. Do you want to share a, uh, a, swagger. a, a swagger story today? I got a swagger story. Uh, coming off the heels of realizing I'm the, the villain of Missouri Swagger, um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to tell a story about uh, my the origin story of my villainy as it were and also uh something that every time i watch one of these i have a hard time watching missouri swagger i like to see what works and what doesn't work and and how we could tighten things up like i'm I'm always trying to make it better so i try to watch at least a little bit of each episode and the thing that bothers me is that the view of me when we're doing this is very straight on so it's very obvious how fucking crooked my nose is i have an extremely crooked nose uh, Let me look at your nose. You guys are going to be able to unsee it now. Oh, it's yeah, I can't. You're right. Yeah. Uh, what a disaster you are. I am. I am. I'm a physical monster. Uh, but 
so I can tell the story of how I got my nose broken and how, what happened and, and why I'm a villain. Uh, so when I was 16, I was a real piece of shit. I started dating the girl that I dated until college when I was 14. And at around 16, I think her parents decided that was not a good long-term plan and uh, started kind of pressuring her to, to, to see other people in high school, which at the time I thought was the most monstrous thing that had ever happened. But it's, did they also feed you lots of cake? Solid. They, they did. They fed me lots of cake and cookies. It was, it was actually, it was double stuff Oreo cookies and uh, fudge to fatten me up. Is this but, the, same, the same woman? Yeah, oh, it is the same woman, yeah. Okay. I, only, right. I had one girlfriend in high school. I dated her from 14 to almost 19. All right. Uh, so, so, yeah, the, she broke up with me the year I would turn 16, or like between 16 and 17, she broke up with me. And to date a friend, like, a, like a, not a good friend, but a friend of mine. So I was in a really dark place, and I started hanging out with this other friend group that I had met at my job at Hardee's. And that guy, my, my buddy, got promoted to assistant manager of that Hardee's. He started working like 60 hours a week. He, had, he just graduated high school and wasn't going to go to college. He was doing that. And I got myself fired from Hardee's because I tried to work fewer hours because I, I just didn't want to work as much. And I went in and tried to demand that I was going to work fewer hours. And he's like, you can work a lot fewer. There's the door. So I left. So my buddy went from working you know, a reasonable amount to working constantly. And I was working none. So I was hanging out with his live in girlfriend all the time after school to avoid my friends and my ex and and all of this. And that was a problem. Like, eventually, we started to have feelings for one another. And we, we became really good friends. And so I was falling for my best friend's girlfriend. And she eventually told him that she had feelings for me and that therefore was going to, to end the relationship. And he lost his mind and freaked out and told me about it. I'm like, well, she look, dude, she, she, that's her, how she feels like I'm not doing anything wrong. And, And then later that night he came over to my house and crawled up the back steps uh, and looked in my, my, the, the rear window of my house. And I was making out with his girlfriend on my bed, like a real piece of shit just like a monster. And so he came and rang the doorbell and I go to the front of the house and my mom's like, your buddy's out front losing his mind. What's going on? And I open the door and he pushes me. And at this point, I feel like the biggest heel in the world. Like I'm learning the lesson of friendship is more important than, you know, a makeout session and you have to be smart about your relation. I'm learning all this on the fly. <clears throat> feeling also, terrible. Close your damn curtains, Dennis. Well, I just shouldn't have done it. It was dumb. I was in a dark place and I made a mistake. Uh, but I'm thinking about this at the time and I put my, and he pushes me and he like punches me, uh, like swings at me a couple times and I put my hands up and I'm like, man, I'm sorry. I'm not going to fight you. And then this kid who's probably 130 pounds soaking wet drops me with the craziest punch to the nose I've ever experienced. Like I, I probably outweighed him by 30 pounds, 40 pounds. And he sent me back on my ass, crushed my nose, like just collapsed everything in my face. Blood's gushing down. The girlfriend's come out and crying and, and holding him. And, and my mommy had to take me to the emergency room because my face was destroyed. Uh, when they, by the way, if you ever get your nose broken, they can't do anything until the swelling goes down. So you might as well just wait because they, they give you painkillers, I guess, but they can't really do anything. So I... 
the reason this is a Missouri Swagger story is not just because I sucked at 16, but I go to my father's house for something a couple of days later, and he sees me. And I'm, I'm not a fighter. I was I like never had black eyes or anything as a kid because I, I don't fight. And my dad was. My dad was like really into getting into bar fights and stuff when he was younger. So I think I walk up and my old man thinks, finally, finally, my son's become a man. He's gotten in a fight. I'm going to hear this story. And he asked me what goes on. And I tell him the story just as I've told it to you about how I made this mistake. The look of disappointment on this man's face that I let a smaller kid punch me and had my hands in the air. Like he, he, could, he didn't even let me finish it. He's like, I don't care what you did. If someone puts their hands up, you put yours up and drop them. And I was like, yeah, but... And he just looked at me and shook his head and turned around and walked away. Like the conversation, he ended the conversation by leaving me standing in his backyard. And I just watched him go. I think he started the lawnmower and took off. Didn't say goodbye. And I left. And that is not the most Missouri thing about this story, though, because the most Missouri thing about this story is two days later, I go, the swelling goes down and I go to the doctor and the doctor is, is laying like a, a splatter shield on my chest as he's like looking at my nose. And he's saying, well, you know, we got a couple options here. You can leave it like your breathing is a little bit impaired, but it's not too bad. We can leave it, but it, you know, it's pretty crooked. Um, or we could go in and do surgery. And he's got like, he's like looking at it in my nose with those, the little viewer thing and while laying this thing on my chest. Or we could, you know, we could do surgery. We could go and do a couple different surgeries. We could perfect it, get it, get it nice and straight for you. But you know, that's going to be surgery. Or I could just, and then he takes his thumb and bears down and leans in and re-breaks my fucking nose right there on the spot. Uh, it didn't bleed, so the bladder splatter shield wasn't necessary. I was like, oh, there you go. Gets up and walks out. So my nose is currently, if you look, the exact shape of that doctor's fucking thumb and will be for the rest of my life. So this was the, this is how we fixed it. So that is how we deal with uh, high school infidelity and well, fights and, uh, yeah, plastic surgery. In you the you deserve that punch, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, the, it was the best lesson I ever learned. I deserved it 100%. Um, I learned a lot that day, and uh, I'm glad. Uh, and, you know, it was a good learning experience. 16-year-olds suck. So if you're 16 and you make mistakes like that, learn that one day it'll be a funny story you can tell on your YouTube channel. I think what people really want to know, though, and what I really want to know is, did the girl stick with you? or? Oh, or no. Absolutely the- not. No. She, I mean, she was nice to me for a couple more weeks and i think we hung out but what happened was because of you what saw how your nose was so crooked now she couldn't take it no i was still pretty <laughs> just a little bit it was added character to my face uh no i think what what actually happened was not that she was so embarrassed by me taking the punch it was that her entire friend group was friends with him and now hated me mm-hmm. so we could hang out alone or with my friend she didn't know also she was 19 and i was 16 so it was, it was a little bit weird, I think, for her to hang out with a bunch of younger kids who didn't know her and weren't thrilled about it. I got back together with the other girl after that and then dated her until college. So it was just a, it was a dark time for a little teenage Denny. All right. So there you have it, folks. As a teenager, I was terrible. Just as a teenager. I'm great now. You've become a much better human being. All right, everybody, thank you for watching. We're going to record another one this week, I think, because we missed one. Uh, 
a couple weeks yeah. ago for New York. Uh, I don't know what the next one's going to be about. It is not going to be the dance movie episode because not yet. We'll I don't out. have time for watching dance movies. Um, but uh, but thanks for for joining us today. If you like the video, uh, hit that little thumbs up or leave us a comment or a review. If you're you listening, tell us a review on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, share the video. Share the podcast. Tell your friends about it. We're trying to get this thing out there. I'm going to start promoting it more. Um, Cause yeah, I think we, I think we got something here, folks. I think we're going to, we're going to take all your money one day. And if I can plug something real quick, Dennis, as we're leaving, do it. If you're listening to this on a podcast, uh, on the, uh, on the same network, you'll find a new podcast called tequila cast where me and my neighbor drink shots of tequila and tell you all about them and, uh, and review them for you. So uh, check out Tequila Cast when you get a chance. We're going to have Dennis on as a guest tequila oh. tequila shot drinker uh, at some point, uh, hopefully in the near future. And well, uh, You don't know this about me, but I love tequila shots, so I am down. Well, all right. We'll have you on a few episodes then so that we can just okay. – yeah. All right. But, yeah, check that out if you, if you like that kind of thing. And uh, we will uh, be back next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.